Tonight we're going to start a topic that I'm really excited about uh, that I think is um, uh, necessary. Somebody said this past week, uh, or, or today about this past week, uh, he says to me, he says, John, I don't think uh, uh, the majority of Christians ever ask the questions that we've been asking on Sunday mornings. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that might be right. I, the, the two questions the past two weeks that we've been asking at, at church on Sunday mornings have been, is the Bible historically accurate? And is it uh, true? Is it actually true? Uh, we've asked those two questions, and, and sometimes we just walk into the assumption of those two things. Uh, but we don't really have a foundation or a reason to answer in the affirmative of either of those questions. And uh, so I think this is important. I think it's important not only for us, but also for our children as our uh, world becomes more and more post, uh, our culture becomes more and more of a post-Christian uh, uh, culture. I think this is incredibly important for our children. Uh, they're growing up in a world that's much different than when I was in middle school, high school. The world was different than it is now, much different. It's much different for some of you all, uh, you know, some of you older folks. I mean, I can't imagine uh, how old it was for, how weird it is for you, Rodney. Uh, <laughs> so uh, before we go further, let's pray and we'll dive into this. Um, and, I, you know, and I think, I, uh, well, I think we'll have fun. Uh, Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the freedom that we have in this nation uh, to gather, to study, to worship freely. I thank you, Lord, for uh, the, the freedom that we have. And right now, Lord, as we uh, uh, start walking and talking about apologetics and reasons for faith, I pray, Lord, that you help us to, um, to really wrestle through and chew on and, and, and work through some, uh, some of these questions that we'll be addressing. Uh, and Lord, more than anything, I, I pray that you equip each uh, parent and, and guardian and grandparent in this room uh, to be able to lovingly engage with their children and grandchildren and uh, neighbor kids or whoever. Um, it, it's, a, it's a weird world. And so, um, Lord, we, we just pray, Lord, for reason and logic to prevail we thank you for Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Um, uh, throughout the next several weeks, we'll be dealing with apologetics. And um, uh, several times I'll probably uh, reference a couple different resources that are just uh, just incredibly beneficial. Um, let's start off with uh, what is, uh, in the, over the next couple weeks, we'll, we'll be answering these questions. We'll be answering what is apologetics. Uh, we'll be talking about the primary tasks and objectives of apologetics. We'll be uh, uh, talking about some of the critical atti uh, attitudes. Uh, uh, and we will adopt strategies to deal with, uh, to deal with doing apologetics. Josh, how you doing, buddy? You're fine, bud. You're fine. You need a pen? You got one? Um, we'll be talking about why it's important and if it's biblical, and uh, uh, we'll be talking about what is truth and how do we know truth exists. That's, I mean, it, on the face it kind of seems like that is um, a nonsense question. What, what, does truth exist? Uh, 
Uh, but as we'll see, uh, uh, that's, the answer to that is much more important than sometimes we would give credit to. And so let's start off tonight talking about what, what is apologetics. Uh, anybody ever heard that term before or used that term before? Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? Like, what are the, 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 if you had to define it, what would you define it as? And, and so some of y'all that haven't been here before know that I really like talking back and forth. If it's just me talking, I get bored with my voice, and so I know you will. And so uh, feel free to engage uh, uh, if you'd like. What are, what are the thoughts on it? How would you define it? Okay. If you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like this little picture of this little squirrel. I don't know what he's d- done, but it's, it, whatever it is, it's wrong, you know? Uh, yeah, sometimes we get that idea, well, apologetics is about apologizing. And, and, and I think that often, I, while we wouldn't define it like, that way, in our practice, that's how we become to define it. Because in a world of, of, that, that claims science and reason, and they said, well, how could you be so foolish to believe in a risen Savior? Oh, well, you know, the Bible says, I believe that settles it. And we kind of uh, all shucks it. Uh, uh, and, and, and in some ways kind of apologize for our faith. Well, you know, I, 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 believe, I believe what the Bible says about marriage and sexuality. But, you know, you believe you and, you know, sorry, I don't want to impose on you or whatever, you know. Like that's how we kind of we go about it. How else might you define apologetics? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sometimes we have that idea of, of, of two people debating. Uh, one of the more popular ones in the past couple of years, I guess, well, I guess it was maybe it was a while ago now, 2012, 13 or so, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Anybody remember that? Bill Nye and uh, uh, Ken Ham did a debate uh, uh, before the, uh, the, the Ark Encounter opened, or maybe leading up to that. And it's kind of a, um, a neat thing. Anybody watch it? Did you all watch that? Do you, do you remember uh, 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 Ken Ham's rebuttal to many things? I, I mean, Bill would ask a question and kind of said it. And this is one of my few critiques to, to Answers in Genesis and Ken Ham. Uh, Bill would, would ask a question or to throw out a, uh, an argument, and, and, and Ken Ham's response would, would be, well, the Bible says, let me, let me ask this, why might that be a weak argument to a non-Christian? To say the Bible says blank to someone who doesn't find authority in the Bible is okay, well, my grandmother said blank. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't mean she was right. And so, and so that was kind of a, a frustration. I remember being so frustrated because he would reply, well, about what the Bible says. Instead of maybe laying the groundwork and the foundation work for why we can have uh, a, a, a confidence in the Bible as authoritative, the historicity of the Bible, for example. How else might you define apologetics? You might remember, remember from this past weekend where that word comes from. I'm sorry? Uh, it's, it's a Greek word. It's a Greek word, and it means a reasoned defense. A reasoned defense. Uh, uh, Peter uses it in 1 Peter. Uh, 
Uh, he talks about uh, giving a reasoned defense. I think I've got that on the slide. Maybe not. Um, uh, be prepared to give a reasoned defense for the hope that you have. A reasoned defense. Now, this is slightly different than a debate uh, because often we see a debate and we say, well, side A and side B and arguing back and forth. Um, but that's not really the biblical picture that we have when it comes to ap- apologetics. Um, one can be an apologist for anything, a political view, a sports team, uh, a sandwich shop. Uh, Christian apologetics is, giving, is the act of giving a reasoned defense for the truth of Christianity. William Craig Lane wrote a great book a couple years ago called uh, Stay in Guard, Stand Firm, something like that. On Guard, maybe. Mm. Anyway, and that's, that's all he largely deals with uh, in a lot of his writings, uh, is giving a reasoned defense for the truth of Christianity. N- not defense, like defense, like um, a battle, but this is why I believe what I believe. I suspect that if most Christians in North America, if they were, uh, if somebody came and held a gun to their heads, and said, why do you believe what you, what you believe? Uh, I suspect most wouldn't have an answer for that. Um, it, Christian apologetics involves areas such as philosophy, science, history. Um, so some of the topics we'll, dis- we'll talk about in the next couple of weeks, is there good evidence for the existence of God? Uh, we've talked about it on Sunday mornings, but we might touch a little bit more. Uh, is the Bible reliable? Uh, why do you think that Jesus, or why would you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Uh, we'll deal with hard questions like, if an all-loving and all-powerful God exists, then why is there so much suffering and evil? Isn't, wouldn't that make God a moral monster? Uh, to kill his, his only son? Um, what kind of a monster might he be? That's the argument we'll be dealing with. Uh, some common misconceptions about apologetics. It's argumentative. Uh, the, the idea is not argumentative, but I, I'll be honest with you. As, as we walk through this, you'll kind of see. I struggle in this area. Uh, I struggle in this area quite a bit because um, I'm okay. For example, I can sit on the porch and and I can have a, a good conversation with a, a friend of mine uh, who is a Mormon um, or a Muslim. I'm fine with that. We can have disagreements. And we, but as our culture becomes more and more anti-Christian and anti-children, it's harder and harder to, become, to be non-argumentative. I, I, the Lord's pressless on me, and so I know I've got to listen to it, but, but, but I'm struggling with how do you not become argumentative when you see uh, the, the injustices that are happening to our children in our nation? I don't know how to handle that. Yes, sir? Well, we'll get, uh, as, as far as being argumentative, Yes. I guess that's my point. I can't not be kind about mutilating kids, for example. Now, we, we can have disagreements about baptism 
or communion or stuff like that. And I might think you're dead wrong. And you might think, like, but I can still f- claim fellowship with you and stuff. But when it comes to mutilating kids, when it comes to sexual grooming our children, that's a much different thing. And here's the thing, but the scriptural mandate is still to be seasoned with salt when possible. But at the same time, we see holy war throughout scriptures as well. So that, that's something that we're going to be wrestling through as we go throughout this. Because it is my intention as we walk through this to really be able to connect that with the, the cultural man, uh, issues that are going on in our world today. If not, you know, I've, I've gotten so sick of churches and church people who will sit in rooms for years and years and years and study the Bible and study the Bible and study the Bible and not engage in the community around them. What a waste of time, life, energy, resources. Um, and, so, and so I really want to connect this to our, uh, our context as much as we can. Um, but the goal of apologetics is not about winning arguments, but ultimately... Uh, it's about showing validity to the Christian faith. Uh, it, Christian, uh, apologetics is not just for smart people. Do you want the best proof you'll ever need for that? Rodney, you're hitting it on the head. Here's John, all right? Uh, uh, apologetics is not just for smart people or scholars. Um, all Christians are called to do it. First Peter 3.15, Paul talks about, or Peter writes about, uh, be ready to give a reasoned defense for the hope that you have. Um, that's not just to pastors or scholars, it's to all people. And we can all become better at this, even if we're not, um, even if we're new into this idea or this thinking. Um, a lot of people say that apologetics is irrelevant to daily life. Um, but we're here to argue, and as we'll walk through this, we'll see more and more ways where it doesn't just belong in books or in classrooms or in uh, um, uh, commentaries. Uh, it's important for everyday life. It's important uh, in, in as we uh, share our faith with our neighbors, with our colleagues, with our friends, there's going to be questions that are going to come up. And sometimes, I think often we don't share our faith because we don't know how to answer questions that might come up. And so it's my prayer and hope that as we go through this, that might help us. Uh, some people say that it's not, uh, it, it's not spiritual. Uh, some people think that having reasons for believing takes away from true faith, but that, it's absolutely not the case. You see, biblical faith is not blind faith. Remember, uh, I referenced this past weekend, but let me point out to you. Uh, the disciples weren't convinced of the resurrection of Jesus because of the empty grave. They were convinced of the resurrection of Jesus when they saw Jesus, when they touched Jesus, when they ate with Jesus. It's not blind faith that led them. It was a confrontation with Jesus. That's probably not the right word, but you, you can't skirt around it. Uh, it's Jesus right there. You can't, you can't not uh, respond to it. Uh, it wasn't blind faith. Uh, some people think that, that Christian, you know, well, the Bible says that I believe it, that settles it. We've all heard that before, but that's really assuming a blind faith posture. Now, I, I agree that we hold the, the word of God in high regard, I and mean, we should do that. And because the Bible says whatever the Bible says, uh, I, it's the authority of my life. I, I, I align with the message of that saying, 
Uh, but I don't just accept without reason. And that's, that's the point. Uh, the Greek word for faith in the New Testament, or one of the Greek words for faith, is pistis. Uh, uh, pistis is about conviction and assurance. And it's used in um, Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, pistis is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Uh, it's about conviction and, and assurance. It's not blind faith. Uh, some people will say, well, doing apologetics uh, saves people, uh, but only God saves. Uh, as we share our faith with people, that's one of the big hang-ups we all uh, are, are tempted to, to fall into. We think, well, if I don't answer this question right, or this objection right, what if they're never saved? What if they never surrender their life to Christ? What if I mess it up and they never, uh, they never uh, uh, surrender to Christ, and then they're lost for eternity? Um, maybe I should not share then, you know, because I don't want to mess it up. Maybe somebody else is better off. To... Listen, what we say to people doesn't save them. The Holy Spirit saves, right? God takes care of saving. We're just to be a mouth. And I've uh, asked, well, it's the old preacher joke. Um, if God can use a donkey uh, to share his word, uh, he can use me and, and, uh, and you. Um, so let's talk about uh, uh, the key objectives in apologetics. Uh, it's to help others believe that Christianity is true. To help others believe that Christianity is true. Uh, we look at some of the uh, confessions throughout the New Testament that are listed there, Matthew 16, 15. Um, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Uh, in John 20, John writes, he says, in John chapter 20, I love this, uh, he puts like a little um, uh, editor's note. He says, listen, if, if, if everything Jesus had said and done were recorded, we wouldn't have uh, enough paper in the world to hold it. Uh, but this has been written so that you may, anybody know? So that you may believe. That's the point of John's gospel. So that you can come to the saving uh, of faith. Uh, but let me ask you, why is belief not enough? If one of the keys and objectives in apologetics is uh, for others to believe that Christianity is true, why is that not enough? Or is that enough? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, James also says even the demons believe and they shudder. Uh, think about, uh, think about the, the, when the demons interacted with Jesus and they said, oh, no, you know, he, uh, he, here's the Christ, the Messiah of God. And what Jesus say to him? Go with pigs. You know what I mean? Um, uh, demons believe. Uh, we're called to much more than just belief. Uh, that's why it's important for us to help. To, to uh, apologetics. One of the benefits of it is to help others trust and love God. Uh, again, James two. Jesus. Uh, James says that even the demons believe, um, and they shudder. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, we need to rely on God and not do whatever we want. Uh, remember, when Jesus is being tempted, the, the tempter came to him and said, If you're the son, son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Um, uh, apologetics also involves removing barriers that keep people from believing that Christianity is true and trusting a loving God. 
removing bar burials. Uh, what barriers, what do you think are some of the top barriers that keep people from, from loving and trusting God? Intellect, yeah, yeah. No, go on. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, sometimes you you don't have all the answers. Certainly, uh, none of us do. I mean, you, you mentioned the Quran, for example, and um, but I I mean, consider this: the, the Quran's claims about Christ. I mean, that's an important thing. Uh, the Quran claims that Christ uh, was not killed on the killed. <laughs> Did you like that? Killed. Um, the Quran claims that Christ was not killed on the cross. Instead, there was a, substi a substitute that went to the cross in Jesus's place. Have you all heard that before? So here's the problem with that. Um, well, there's a couple problems. If Christ is not killed and someone else goes to the cross, well, well we've got eyewitnesses that are, that are engaging with Jesus on the cross. So are we to believe that uh, John and Mary sit, standing nearby the foot of the cross interacting with Jesus? Remember that interaction where he says, hey, uh, John, behold your mother, uh, mother, behold your son? Are we to believe that John and Mary were, bo were both uh, incorrect in who they were talking to? A mother doesn't recognize her son? Jesus' argument, it's, it's argument, but Jesus' closest disciple, the one whom he loved, didn't recognize his Savior or his uh, teacher at that time. Uh, so, so that's an issue with the Quran's claims. But also, the Quran was written 600 years after the life of Christ. So why would we take that as authoritative when the biographies of Jesus that are found in the New Testament are written within the lifetime of Christ. So how do we remove some of those barriers? We're, one is we're all called to be students of the word and students of life around us. I, I, I do think it's important as um, Islam is one of the fastest growing uh, religions in our world today, uh, I think it's important that we should uh, be versed in, in the teachings of that uh, so that we can see the errors of that as well. I think that's important. Um, now, only to, the, uh, only to our ability. There's nothing wrong with, with, if somebody comes to me and says, hey, John, I, I would believe in Jesus, however, I've got this issue. Well, maybe I don't know it. There's nothing wrong with me and saying, hey, look, I, I don't know that answer, but my buddy Rodney might. Let's go talk to him. And, that, and that's beneficial, you know. Uh, what other types of uh, barriers keep people from coming to Christ? We've got intellect, experiences. Experience, what kind of experiences? Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, I've got a friend in college, when we were in college, Johnson Bible College, and his mother was diagnosed with a with uh, stage four cancer of some kind. And, um, and I remember standing around in the room with him, and we were praying, um, Lord, heal, heal her. You're, pot, you're the great physician. And so we prayed earnestly. We prayed for you know, probably two months or so. She died. And he struggled so much with that experience of, I trusted you, God. I was studying to be a pastor. I trusted you. I'd given my life to you. And you took away my mom. And, and, and that story happens time and time again. You know, my child dies unexpectedly or whatever. And how could a good God do that? What other, what, what other things keep people from, barriers that keep people from God? Uh, they haven't been here, have they? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, people think, well, you know, I, I'm, if I walked in that church, lightning would strike or whatever, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. It, now, isn't that funny? Yeah. Yeah, or, you know, those people are just, yep, blowing smoke. Ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes we make we we put barriers in well-intentioned barriers. I mean, I, I, like I can understand why a church might want to say, "Hey, I want to meet with you several times. I want you to read this book. I want to disciple you." That's the biblical language for it. Um, but sometimes we can make it harder for people to follow because we will. Squish them. Um, you know, there's a there's a delicate balance there. Sometimes we make it harder than it needs to be, and then sometimes and then some some churches and places m- might make it so easy that it's worthless, or, or you know, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Rodney, what'd you say? I was going to say, like, you know, there's, there's times that you're in church and the Holy Spirit just goes Yeah. 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 Mm hmm. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, those Christian people are quacky. They believe in a Holy Spirit, a spirit that lives inside of them. Weirdos, right? Yeah. That's the claim. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording, Rodney. 
I can't. Um, what about what about uh, uh, barriers of the will? Uh, one might believe that Christianity is true, but simply not want to follow. Sim- well. Yeah. Sure. Sure. But I, I'm, I'm talking more on a selfish end of it. Um, uh, well, I believe that Jesus is Christ. I believe the Bible is true. However, here's my barrier. I don't want to do what the Bible says. I want to run around and be wild, right? Huh? Come on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I if I surrender my life to Jesus, he's gonna make me boring, like Rodney. You know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, if I surrender my life to Jesus, I remember in high school, like I knew the Lord was putting on me that I was gonna be a pastor. I was gonna be a pastor, and I was so scared. If I surrender my whole heart to Jesus, he's gonna make me a missionary. And I don't want to go to Africa. You know, like, I remember having that prayer. I was like, God, please send me anywhere but Africa, you know, like, or another country. You know, I just didn't want to, like, and I thought if I surrender my whole life to Jesus, he's going to do that. Um, Or, dang on it, I just like to sin. Um, What about relational barriers? I remember talking to a young man in Georgetown a couple years ago uh, who, um, uh, grew up in a Hindu house, and we started, he came to a Bible study that I had started. Um, it was a college-age ministry. Uh, we had about, you know, 16, 17 college-age folks coming around, and then he started to kind of drift in as it kind of grew, and we got to around 30 kids, and one night we're going around kind of introducing ourselves, and, and he says, I, you know, I'm here, I'm a student at UK, heard about this group because I played games with some of these guys. And I just want to come and offer you a different perspective. I grew up in a Hindu household, Hindu faith, and I just, I, I, you all are probably a little closed-minded, kind of sheltered, and so I want to give you a better uh, worldview. <laughs> Perfect, great. You know, listen, I ain't worried about that. Holy Spirit's got him. Uh, about uh, six, eight months later, so I get a phone call from him. He's like, hey, man, uh, can we get together and talk? I, the Holy, Like, yeah, I, I think I want to be a Christian, but... That means um, a lot of changes for me. My parents are going to disown me. I know that. They won't let me finish uh, uh, school. Um, or they won't, they won't continue to pay for school. Uh, they're, they're not going to talk to me anymore. They'll kick me out of the house. I'm going to have to find a place to live. How am I going to pay for school? And is it really worth it? I mean, think about that challenge for a second. It's fairly easy for most of us to say, yeah, I'll, I'll, you know, there's no real cost. I might have to give up drinking with my buddies. You know what I mean? I might have to uh, uh, change my sexual ethics or whatever. Um, but for this young man, he's going to lose uh, his free ride. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like parents are going to take away his car, not pay for school. And, and, you know, steep consequences. And for a 22-year-old man to make... Hats off to him. Hats off to him. Um, all right. We've, we've gone down that road enough. Um, 
apologetics is useful for believers and unbelievers. Um, we, we talked about for un- unbelievers why it might be useful for them. You know, it's going to help them uh, uh, um, uh, have reasons for and understand why we believe what we believe. Uh, I think we're all clear on that, yeah? Why might it be beneficial for believers? How is apologetics beneficial for believers? Where's the value for us? It, strength, it strengthens, yeah, it strengthens our faith, right? Because faith is not just blind faith, but based on, listen, I, I don't have to, uh, faith, I don't ha- like, I, I have faith that this will fall to the ground when I, when I let go of it. I, I, can, I can let go with, a, with assurance that it's going to fall down. Now, it hasn't fall, fallen down yet, right? Because I've, I've maintained control of it. But I've got assurance that it's going to fall when I let go. It, that's the type of faith that the Bible calls us to. I, I know God is faithful. I know his word is true. And I can walk forward not wondering, well, what if I let go this time and it lifts up? Does that make sense? That might be a weird picture, but that's how my brain works. That's the picture that I get when I think about this. Uh, it, it is beneficial for us uh, because it, um, it helps us to, it strengthens our faith. It shows us uh, why we believe. It gives, helps us develop evidence. It helps us in times of doubt. Consider, we, we all have dark nights of the soul when things are hard. When you lose a loved one unexpectedly, and you're crushed, and you say, God, how? You know? Um, yeah, when, when the diagnosis comes, and it's, and it's cancer, and you're just getting to that point in your life where you're free, and, you know, what, whatever, you, you have those times, and emotionally only takes you so far. Um, in those times, it's useful to tell yourself, to be able to tell yourself the truth, the objective truth. One of my favorite stories is Joseph in Genesis 39-ish. Uh, 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 Joseph, I mean, y'all, y'all know the story. Like, he's the favorite son, right? And then he gets beaten up by his brothers, right? It's like my life <laughs> relived. Um, uh, brothers picking on you. Uh, but for him, he got thrown in the well and then sold into slavery. And, and I mean, just, I mean, boom, boom, boom. He's just... Uh, every time he starts to succeed because God is with him, Moses writes, the Lord is with him. Several times there in those couple chapters, uh, we're reminded by Moses' pen, the Lord was with him. He finds himself quite successful in Potiphar's house. And then uh, uh, Potiphar's wife, the cougar, comes out and says, hey, big boy, come on. And he says, uh-uh, not me. Nope. And he takes off, right? That's wrong. I, I shouldn't talk. I'm recording. Um, but, but, but so, so that happens. He says, no, nah, you know, I, how could I sin against my God and, and my employer? And so he takes off running and, uh, uh, you know, just jail and just all kinds. But Moses keeps writing, but the Lord was with him. And I've got to believe, this is speculation, but, but I, I really do believe that Moses writes several times in that, three or four times in that little chunk, that the Lord was with him. And one of the reasons is because he wants us to be reminded of, of Joseph's situation. The Lord was with him. Because sometimes, guess what? We find ourselves in places and we, we say, God, where are you? God, you seem distant and you seem, you seem far away. Are, are you still with me? Uh, I think Joseph probably had those times. 
we can be assured that even though Joseph might not have felt God's presence, the Lord was with him. And that's comforting when, when we have those times. Uh, another benefit is um, that um, uh, it, it, uh, it makes us confident to witness, and it keeps us from being uh, emotional in our responses. If we chew through, well, uh, if this is the argument that's being raised, and we can chew through and process uh, the, the accusations that might be thrown, uh, we, can, we can respond uh, perhaps in a, in a better, more confident way without the emotion. Um, good friend of mine, uh, uh, actually it's uh, Buddy Coleman's dad, David, when I was uh, uh, earlier in ministry, uh, and sometimes things would get under my skin, and you know how things get under your skin, and sometimes you get a little big and you know, brown in the shoulders, and you start getting heated, and he used to say to me, boy, boy, get your gut out of it, get your gut out of it. That's important. That's important news. Sometimes, sometimes when we're when we're having a conversation, and uh, and it seems so offensive, um, um, uh, it's important to get our gut out of it. Uh, where are we here? Uh, number three, it helps us maintain a culture that is willing to take Christian truths uh, claims seriously. Listen, we have to have a reasoned uh, response to why we believe what we believe, because we have a culture that is growing in opposition to Christianity. And if we don't have a reasoned, articulable, uh, uh, a thought-out response, then we're going to help the culture point to Christianity and say, well, that's just for dummies. Uh, does that make sense? Now, apologetics requires the right attitude. Uh, 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 don't be like me. <laughs> That's a picture of me inside. Be more like this guy who's happy and smiling. Uh, I, AKA, don't be a jerk. Uh, be, be sensitive to unbelievers. You know, th this is one of those things we referenced earlier. I think it's important that we be sensitive to unbelievers. I, I, I am, I, um, uh, we, we need to be kind and compassionate uh, to people who are unbelievers. Uh, but there is a line when it comes to hurting the innocent. Uh, as a grown adult, I don't care what you do sexually. Um, that's up to you. Uh, straight or gay, I don't care. That's your business. I can, my responsibility is to teach what the Bible teaches, to put it out there, uh, to encourage you to, to, to uh, live according to what the Bible teaches. But uh, listen, what you do is you. But when it starts uh, impacting children, uh, that's when... Um, there's that line. Um, and, and that's, a, and that's a, a floating line, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, hmm. I don't know where that line should be crossed anymore, to be honest with you. I'm just praying the Holy Spirit opens my eyes. Like, if I ever need to cross a line, like, I, hmm, I hope it's very clear. Other, hmm, anyway. Three strategies uh, uh, when it comes to apologetics. Uh, one is the offensive strategy, uh, the positive strategy. Now, notice this is offensive, not offensive, okay? Um, uh, going to offense, uh, the idea is giving positive reasons for the truth of Christianity. Uh, 
one of those positive arguments might be uh, uh, reasons to believe that there is a, a theistic creator. Uh, that's a positive argument. Like, here's why you should believe this is a positive argument. Contrast that with a, with a defensive uh, apologetic or a negative apologetic. That is responding to criticisms or claims uh, 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 um, against Christianity. It's going on defense, but not in a defensive way. To defend Christianity against arguments. So let's talk about the first one, positive or uh, offensive arguments. Giving positive reasons for the truth of Christianity. What examples could you think of, or might you think of? Yeah. Do you know the title of that? The case for Christ is, maybe he does with it. I don't remember the um, creation, but yeah. He's got a whole series, right? Like the case for Christ, the case for Easter, the case for Christmas uh, that deals with, um, but yeah, absolutely. Those are all, uh, one I read this past Christmas because I'm a Scrooge, um, uh, was the case for Christmas, and he deals with, um, an apologetic for a virgin birth and fulfillment of Old Testament scripture and stuff, which is, you know, really a neat read. Um, what would be a defensive uh, uh, apologetic? That might be, like you mentioned earlier, well, some people might say, well, the scripture's been changed so much by different languages, and, you, you know, how do we know? You can't know what the Bible truly says because we don't have the original. And so the defensive apologetic there would be, well, actually we can, and here's why, here's how. Does that make sense? Those are minor distinctions, but uh, important, I suppose, to, 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 to think through. Um, other examples of defensive apologetics, um, it's from, the script, from the Bible, um, in Matthew 28, the disciples of Jesus were accused of stealing his body. And so in response, um, uh, you look at Acts 1, and he talks about the accusations against Christianity and what you had done, what you had done uh, 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 to Jesus the Messiah, but what you intended for harm, God intended for good. Um, the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of demons, if you remember that. Um, a third, a third uh, strategy is neutralizing apologetics. And this is attempting to show that other worldviews are inconsistent or unlivable. Uh, this involves neither responding to objections nor showing that Christianity is true. Rather, it involves engaging with that unbeliever with his or her worldview or religion. Uh, so... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, for example, I, uh, the guy I often talk about, um, my a Muslim friend who we sit on the porch and talk about Christianity uh, and faith and stuff. A, a neutralizing argument wouldn't be me trying to prove Christianity uh, uh, or defend Christianity, but instead it would be talking to him about, so why do you um, put so much faith in the Quran? What, what, how does that... Um, how is that a reliable source for you, given that it was written 600 years after Jesus? 
it, it's pointing out inconsistencies. Um, I mean, uh, a, a neutralizing apologetic today engaging in our world uh, would be, I, I, I was pointed to a, a, an article, there's a hospital, and I can't remember where, that has a new gender wing of their hospital, and they're dealing with gender assignment surgeries and, or gender affirmation care or whatever. And they're talking about, on, on their commercial that was out on the internet and on the website, they talk about gender, assign, gender affirmation surgeries uh, available to minors, right? To kids, 14, 15 years old. This is happening to them. Uh, and so, so these 14-year-olds, for example, are saying, I, I feel like I'm in the wrong body. So they're, they're, well, okay, if you feel it, you must be right. Here's a question. Here's a, a neutralizing apology. Why don't we let 14-year-olds get face tattoos? Well, could, could it be that they make dumb choices? <laughs> hey, I was there. I made all kinds of dumb choices. I'm 36, and I still make dumb choices, right? Um, so, so why, why, why don't we take the same base there? Does that make sense? That would be a neutralizing argument. Um, any questions about those three? Mm. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt, it is. Sir. What was it? Right. So, so my guy over in Paris, we, we had, we've had so many long, good conversations 
And every now and then I'll push him to the point where he's angry, and I'll just, you know, okay, well. But, um, but that's one of the big conversations we had. Is that, how do you know? Like, do you believe in hell? He said, well, I believe in punishment. Okay. okay. Are you going to get it? I don't know. That's, that's up to God, you know? I mean, how terrible of a life is that, you know? So we had, a, a, of course, the last time we, we spoke about it, I really took them off because I said, well, you're not really a Muslim. You say you are, but you're not. <laughs> it didn't go over super well, but he's not, <laughs> you know? I mean, he's, he's uh, married to a Christian woman. You're not really a Muslim. He didn't like it, but we got to that point in our relationship. I didn't open the, open the door like that. That would have probably been uh, insulting. But, <coughs> but yeah, we talked about, you know, how, well, listen, if you're always, if your good's always that way and you're bad, and I said to him in that conversation when I said, you're not really a Muslim, I said, if, if it's all a scale and you know fully that you're living in a way that Allah does not like, then you're just asking for judgment, aren't you? You know? So, anyway. I'm sorry? Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. Who offers uh, a free gift? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a? Um, oh man. Yuna, it's the church out of South Korea. like a universalist type Christianity. Anybody? I just I started reading about it this morning. The Washington Post uh, was founded by this Christian church out of South Korea. The Moonies. Moon is who founded it. Yeah. Uh, his claim, Moon's claim, was that he was he came to fulfill what was left unfilled by Jesus. Moon's dead. Jesus is not. But I didn't know the Washington Post had uh, its origins with the Moon uh, Universal Christian Coalition or whatever it was. Interesting. Fun history. Um, I was also shocked. to They just had, I just put my tongue again. They just had a, some type of a convention, a four or five day convention that they do every year. Uh, they were celebrating the 40 year anniversary of the Washington Post, or I don't know what it was. Um, but I was shocked to see the names of individuals who participated in this conference and convention. Uh, uh, Mike Pompeo, Mike Pence, uh, several of the prior administrations. Uh, uh, leadership was was involved in the presentations of this, and I thought, well, that's interesting. Interesting. And I'm not saying that 
for a purpose other than what draws American diplomatic leaders to a church service in Korea. I would have never connected it. <laughs> Squishy Christianity. Yeah. What time do we have? 7.30. Uh, kids are done at 8, is that right? I'll tell you, sabbatical is bad for my brain. I can't remember what time we do anything anymore. It's bad. All right, uh, uh, we talked about that. Uh, why Christian apologetics? Uh, uh, ask this to yourself uh, and work through this in your, your mind. Why did you become a Christian? Why did you become a Christian? Um, was it because of uh, intellectual pursuit? Uh, for many of us, it might be because of involvement of parents and grandparents or teachers. Um, I, I do think that while apologetics is so incredibly beneficial, I, I still think that the most important thing that we can share with the unbelieving world is what the Lord has done in our lives, right? That's where we start. And I, I think really, this is probably a bad terminology, and if I thought through this farther, I could probably find uh, holes in it. But if we start there with let me tell you about Jesus, what he's done in my life, and then we backfill as questions arise, that's probably a, a positive way. Uh, to share Christ. But again, all of the purpose of this is to share Christ with others. We, we see example after example throughout Scripture uh, of what Christ has done in me. Uh, 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 Philip and Andrew, and hey, come meet the man who, uh, 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 who's the Christ. We found the Christ. Think of the woman at the well in John 4. Yeah, John 4. And she says, hey, she goes to the village, hey, listen, <laughs> come meet the man who told me everything about my past. You know, who, who knows everything. Uh, uh, come meet the Messiah of God. Um, uh, is apologetics biblical? Uh, ap apologia, or, um, well, that's, I'm still trying to struggle how to pronounce that, really. Apologia is what I've always said. Uh, I was listening to a, a, a talk the other day, and, and he said, apologia, apologia. So I don't know. You can believe me or him. I trust him. Uh, uh, be prepared always to give an answer or defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this, he says, uh, with gentleness and respect. Uh, we kind of hinted about that earlier, the importance of gentleness and respect. Uh, um, and, and knowing, I guess, the difference. Um, Colossians says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I think that's, that's a biggie. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech, speech be gracious, 
seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I mean, that's, that, that, that's, both of those are, are, are such big things. Give an answer or defense, a reason why, a reason defense. The, the idea of a defense is a, it's a, geek, a, a geek term, <laughs> a Greek term, a legal term. It means a speech act. That's one of the biggest things that stands out to me in starting this intro uh, uh, study. It's a speech act. For so often, for so many years, the Christian church has said, and I don't know who said it, some of you might know, they've said, uh, I preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. You've probably heard that before. I don't know who said it. Somebody said it. Somebody famous. Fine. Good. Great. Here's the thing. And here's what we've seen in the past 50 years. We've seen uh, Christianity in the decline. I think one of the big reasons for that is because we've preached the gospel always and when necessary used words. We haven't given a, a, a speech act. We're too scared to talk to our neighbors or our colleagues. Because, well, what might we lose? We might lose our friendships. People might avoid us. People, you know, might change. Listen, do you know how awkward people get when I'm somewhere in public with a bunch of guys, for example, and they're like going around the circle and it gets to me and they're like, so what do you do? And I say, I'm a preacher. Do you know how uncomfortable people get every time? Like I thought, well, maybe I can like, uh, you know, fabricate that answer some, some other way. Like I sell eternal, um, eternal insurance, uh, uh, but that wouldn't be good. Um, like maybe I could, you know, I'm a nonprofit worker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, an engineer. Uh, you, know, you know, people get awkward. People get strange. You know what's really awkward and strange? Is when someone who says they're a Christian actually lives according to the principles laid out in Scripture. That's when it really gets weird. Um, uh, the verse stresses doing, doing apologetics with gentleness and respect. Uh, why is that important? And where are the limits to that? It's already awkward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Can you win the battle and lose the war? Any of us married folks can tell you that, right? You can win the battle and lose the war. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, here's the thing. It's, it's easier to have gentleness and respect if you know what you're talking about. Um and so it's important for us to study. Um, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul talks about how he is defending, that's apologia, uh, and confirming the gospel. Defending and confirming the gospel. The word confirming uh, is referring to the gospel being known in such a way that the, to confirm its truth. Okay? I, I want to confirm it. I want to confirm the truth the truthfulness of the gospel. The pro- it's the process of causing people to think about the gospel and to accept it as trustworthy. 
Uh, this is no blind, blind leaf of, of faith. It is faith supported with thoughtful reasons. Uh, Colossians talks about being salty, right? Not the modern usage of the word salty, um, Trina. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it's, it's salty. So your speech should be tasty so that others want more of it. Um, uh 2 Corinthians 10, 5, uh, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make obedient to Christ. Um, yeah, we, we're removing uh, barriers. Uh, we want to demolish uh, the arguments, and here's, here's where I struggle. We need to demolish the arguments and not the people. Uh, I've said many times in here, uh, everything is spiritual. And I'm becoming more and more convinced of that. Everything is spiritual. And as we navigate this anti-Christ world, this anti-post-Christian culture that we live in, uh, we need to see with a spiritual eyes and see that these movements that are, that are, attacking, that are attacking individuals in the church and uh, that are setting up our children for failure— uh, it's not just bad philosophy and bad worldview. It's demonic. It's, there's a spiritual battle that's going on in our world today. And we need to see it as a spiritual battle. Uh, we need to see uh, not as enemies, but as, but as individuals who have a soul who needs saved, who need Jesus, and who are duped by, by demonic forces. Powers and principalities. They're not the enemy. Yes, ma'am. So they might not believe what they see, but there's there's two points I want to make there. One, if if someone comes to me, an adult individual comes to me, or even a a child really comes to me and says, hey, I think I'm a different gender or whatever. Listen, they should see compassion in me for them, right? Because me saying, well, you're stupid, you're brain dead or whatever, you know, like that's not going to help. Uh, they should see compassion in me. Uh, uh, that, now that doesn't, I'm not going to affirm them. I, I think of it like, I think of it like this. Um, if a woman were to come into my office, and I'm saying women, not to to be offensive just because that's the, uh, generally the, 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 the gender that deals with this, they come in and say, hey, look, I, I feel fat, and I'm, I've got an eating disorder, all right? I, I'm anorexic or whatever. Um, I'm not going to go along with that and say, well, you, you could lose a few. Like, that would be, <laughs> Trina, don't laugh. But, <laughs> but that wouldn't be considered, that wouldn't be compassionate, right? Uh, same thing with the gender stuff. I'm not going to go along with it, but they should see, com- I, I love you. Uh, a, a good friend of mine, when I was, lived in Tennessee, I was working at a Crackle Barrel. Uh, uh, um, I was working at a Ruby Tuesday, and we would often go to the Crackle Barrel or the uh, Waffle House to eat after after dinner. And he and I became really good friends. Um, we, we we became friends before I realized before I knew anything about him. Really, I mean, we were servers at the same restaurant. We started yakking, and we we were friendly. Um, one night, I, I'd worked there for th- two years prior. 
I was gone for the summer. I was in Vegas doing a, uh, an internship. Came back. He was working there. I didn't know who he was. First night, I had been back, and he was there in the restaurant, and whatever. And so that first night, I'm busy. We got slammed. Eventually, I'm standing outside, and I'm just dripping sweat, and he comes out, and he smoked, so he's standing over there smoking. And we stood there and talked for about 10 minutes or so, right before close. Went back in. And uh, 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 I started cleaning my section. He started cleaning his section. It was good and fine. And then he comes over, and he's white-faced. He says, uh, John, I'm so sorry. I'm like, what are you sorry about? He says, the kitchen guys, they're saying stuff about me and you being out back together. And I said, what do you mean? I wasn't connecting it, connecting the dots, because sometimes I'm slow. And he says, well, I'm gay. And now they're saying that you're gay. I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, Okay, so I grabbed him by the arm, and I took him back to the kitchen. I said, y'all got a problem with this? And they were like, what, John, we were just playing. I said, well, you, you owe my buddy Mark here an apology. And so they are like, oh, man, sorry, sorry Mark. Because I had known them. They would worked there for, you know, four or five years. We knew. So anyway, uh, and then we, I turned around with him arm in arm. We went to the dining room, and I let go of his arm, and I went to my section. And, and then he came, you know, quietly. He says, are you gay? No, I'm not, you know, um, uh, but I'll be your friend. No one should be picked on because for anything, right? And so we, we, that started the friendship. Listen, he, he knew full well as we got to know each other. He knew I was a preacher. He knew what I stood for and what I believed, and he knew I loved him. Uh, they should see that. Um, I, never, I never was able to convince Mark um, to my knowledge, uh, to choose a different way to live. Uh, it wasn't for lack of trying. I just, but it's not my job to save them. My job is to be a faithful mouthpiece, preaching the gospel, show, sharing Jesus, sharing the love of Jesus, and demonstrating that. Now, that vastly changes because I'm unapologetic when it comes to hurting children, and that's where it changes. I, the, if, if you, and here's the thing. I don't care what you do as an adult, right? I, I would hope better for you, but you do you. But when it comes to hurting children, that's really, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy. This is the part that's going to edit it out. But I'm gonna, I, I foresee the day when children are being mutilated, and it's going to be the job of the church to save these children. I foresee that day in the not-so-distant future. And so what's that going to require? What more than compassion, a willingness to go to jail. And I hate being the doom and gloom guy all of a sudden, but I mean, that, that's, that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a day where where the Church of Christ is going to have to decide uh, what am I willing to sacrifice. We've been quite blessed for 200 years. We live in the what I would argue is the best nation in the world. I'm so very thankful that I was born here in, in America where we have freedoms and liberties. Um, but that freedom's going to come at a price. And, and, and we're going to have to make some hard choices one day about, well, where do I really stand?
Um, <laughs> I really don't want to end there. Um, <laughs> uh, where are we? Uh, G3, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy uh, people. We're, again, apologize, it's not just about blind faith. Uh, we need to contend uh, uh, for the faith. We need to be able to refute those who oppose correct biblical teaching. I love uh, the story. Uh, this fall, we're going to have our second man camp. I was convict, convicted about a, uh, last summer. Uh, we did a mission trip, and I had several middle school boys on the mission trip with us. And I remember looking at these middle school boys thinking, boy, these kids are worthless. Right? These guys are just absolutely worthless. And I'm, uh, it's a personal interest to me because my daughters are going to grow up and marry one of these types of boys, and they are absolutely worthless. They, you know? And so we started man camp last summer. We'll do it again this fall. Uh, just talking about character and integrity and, uh, you know, this one. Don't shake a man's hand sitting down. You know, stand up and shake a hand. And when you shake a hand, shake a hand. And don't do the wet fish thing. You know, like, um, anyway. Um, so we started a, a promotion for man camp last fall, and my wife shared it. Now, if you don't know my wife, you're missing out. She is far more pleasant than I am uh, and kinder. And uh, so she shared, she simply shared the thing that I posted she got raked through the coals. Not a single person said boo to me, uh, but she got absolutely, I mean, raked through the coals. Now, there's, there's two testimonies there. One uh, is she's just so patient and kind. Uh, she ended up losing her Facebook account because of that ordeal. It was shut down because of hate speech or something. Um, uh, but then, so she was a little perturbed at me. But, but um, if you were able to have seen it, uh, we, we, of course, Amanda was accused of being a bigot and uh, homophobic and all this stuff and adding to uh, perpetually, uh, what, whatever, I can't even vomit the nonsense they were saying. But, um, <laughs> but one of our defenders, a defender came out of the, the woodwork. It was a couple that lived a couple houses down in our old subdivision in Georgetown. And they came and they said, listen, uh, I know you're coming against John and Amanda, but you will never find kinder Christian people than these people. Uh, and that meant a lot, not because, I mean, if it was one of you all, I would expect you to lie about me like that. Uh, but this is a lesbian couple that lived five, six houses down the road from us in Georgetown. And, and, and to see them come out to our defense with that topic, that is the saltiness that we're called. They know exactly where we stand. They know exactly where we are. Uh, with with Bible teachings and and sexual ethics and all that stuff, but but they still know that we love them and care for them, and that's important. That's important in our world today. Uh, not excusing it, not turning a blind eye to it, and you do you and I'll do me. No, I want to defend for the faith. I want to contend for what's right, and I want you to know that. But I want to do it seasoned with salt, because listen, as as. Happy as that guy on the street corner with the, with the sign that says you're going to hell. He might feel great about himself, but I doubt many people come to Christ because of a sign that's condemning you. Um, what time do we have? 12 minutes? Um, okay. Hey, listen. <laughs> I roll, buddy. 
All right, uh, it's a biblical. Titus 1.9, an elder must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and to refute those who oppose it. Even early on in, in, in the, early on in the church, we had heresies that started to develop. That's why it was so important for the church to, uh, to, to develop and to think through and to process uh, 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 their beliefs and their teachings. Who is Jesus? That was a very important question that he asked in the first century. That's why the gospel writers go back and did some investigative research as to who he was. Because guess what? No one cared about his birth story, uh, the origin, you know, the birth of Jesus, uh, until after he was dead and ascended into heaven. Only at that point did they say, hmm, maybe there's more to the story. Um, Philippians 1.7 uh, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart, whether I'm in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you who share in God's grace with me. I, I mean, there's a great apologetic for the, for the um, um, impact that the risen Christ had. It was Saul, the, the enemy of the church, uh, becomes the greatest uh, uh, um, uh, uh, missionary. Um, let's see, I've got some notes here. Let me think here. Where am I? Uh, uh, the number one commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Uh, this command involves engaging your mind. Uh, we must not exclude our mind and our love for God or service to him. Do you all agree with that? We can't exclude our mind. For so often the church has been guilty of just playing with emotions or fa even fabricating emotions. What's the Bible teach about our emotions? Fickle. Yeah, fickle. Absolutely. It's de de deceitful above, above all things. Um, Doug Powell says to believe in something especially involving your eternal destiny without first seriously reflecting on it or looking into it as an act of, is not an act of faith, it's an act of foolishness he says if you don't engage your mind it's a foolish belief not a faithful belief um, this does not say to avoid studying philosophy on the contrary, it says that we should uh, uh, avoid being led astray by false or deceptive philosophies. Don't be taken captive by these other philosophies. And listen, this is very popular today. What are some deceptive Christian teachings that you hear in the world today? Can anybody point to one of those? What about uh, 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 if you have enough faith, just a little bit of faith, Send me $100, that's going to be seed money, and God's going to bless it tenfold. Listen, if y'all want to put that to the test, holler at your boy, all right? Just know, don't have many expectations, all right? Uh, I, there are all kinds of uh, terrible, terrible, terrible uh, deceptive philosophies. Uh, it's necessary that we know about these philosophies, about these faiths and religions, um, these worldviews. It's very important, as we did in-depth this past semester, 
we uh, looking at the first couple chapters of Romans, I mean, we didn't just look at Romans and the culture in Rome. We also looked at uh, uh, big issues when it comes to our world, our prominent worldviews today. I mean, did we not talk about uh, 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 critical theory quite a bit? Critical race theory quite a bit? If we don't understand those philosophies, uh, I, I, listen, I understand those philosophies pretty roughly. Um, and the world's still chaotic and confusing. Without some type of a grasp on, on the, the popular worldviews of our day, there's no way we can start to truly engage in it. Or point out the deficits of it to the many, many who are following blindly the, the, the worldviews of the day. Does that make sense? Critical theory? Critical theory and critical race theory. Uh, I believe if you go to the, our app, Josh, I'm sure you have the app, because uh, <laughs> we all, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, go to the podcast section, and you'll find Romans chapter uh, 1, 2, and 3 of last semester of the Leesburg Talk podcast. We talked quite a bit. I think we released those, those podcasts. Um, the, ultimate, the Old Testament says uh, God uh, gives many evidence, evidences that he is the one true God. And so does the New Testament. Uh, think about the Old Testament evidences in Joshua 2, 9 through 11, Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho who hid the Israelite spies and sided with Israel, uh, said that she knew that Israel's God is the one true God because word has spread about how God had dried up the Red Sea and delivered Israel from Egypt. Uh, God gives evidences that he's the one true God throughout the Old Testament, and he, and he does so as well in the New Testament. Jesus says that his miracles show that he is from God. Nicodemus in John chapter 3 saw Jesus' miracles as clear signs that he was from God. Uh, throughout the, the, the book of Acts, um, the miracles in Acts show the truth of their message. Um, Jesus uses scripture and logic to defend his, his message. Um, so we see that it is a, a, a biblical thing. Peter reasons with the Jews uh, uh, early on, um, emphasizing the miracles and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Paul also goes throughout the book of Acts. We see Paul going to the synagogues, uh, as was his custom, and, and giving biblical answers uh, and answering objections to, to the Messiah, the crucified Messiah, uh, bringing people to Jesus. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, we see that. Paul says there's no excuse for not believing in God. Why? Because according to Romans chapter 1, uh, God has revealed himself in nature. Uh, we are going to, I think, stop here, and we'll pick up again next week on slide 18. How's that sound? Good? That'll give you time to get up there and find, find your kids. Uh, prayer requests. Any prayer requests that we can share tonight? The world. Absolutely. The world. The, yeah?
Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much for the opportunity to study and to study together. And I thank you for this crowd. I thank you, Lord, for um, uh, their willingness to dedicate this evening to, to uh, consider and think about and study maybe for the first time apologetics. And I pray, Lord, that what we talk about doesn't just stay here, but, uh, but that it leaves here and engages in our community, in our world. I thank you for Jesus. I pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful night.